So we're going to look at where wisdom begins, and, and um, you know, I think if you look at our society, uh, especially in the, not just our society, but in the whole, the, the Western world, I think you could easily say that we live in a time where um, knowledge is abundant and knowledge is uh, easily accessible. Um, in, in fact, you could almost say that we live at a time when there's knowledge overload. Um, there's knowledge everywhere. Uh, if you need to know um, how to put in a light fixture, you just open up your phone and do a Google search. Um, <clears throat> so knowledge is easily acceptable, easily accessible. Um, but wisdom seems to be lacking. Um, we search for wisdom, we search for knowledge, uh, we have degrees hanging on our walls, we have books filling our bookshelves, uh, we listen to gurus and podcasts, we listen to people talk about how to do a number of um, pretty much everything, uh, but wisdom seems to be lacking. And so we're going to look at where, do, where does wisdom start? Where do we start if we really want to grow in wisdom? And I think that's true. I was speaking more in general terms with society, but I think it's also true in, in church. Um, I think if you look at uh, the church in America in, in particular, um, there's more of a lack of wisdom than I think we would like to acknowledge, or at least there, than there should be. Um, and, and also, while it's true that wisdom is not necessarily a destination that we arrive at, it's more of a lifelong journey, uh, we, we ought to be working toward this wisdom. A lot of people fail because they don't start in the right place, and so that's really what we're going to look at today. The Bible really as a whole is a manual for wisdom, really, if you look at it. Uh, we're going to be looking in Proverbs, the one book probably devoted to uh, the, the concept and the, the idea of wisdom. So if you'd open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, and then I will pray for us this morning and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you because you are the God of wisdom. Um, Lord, you are wisdom, you are knowledge, and you are truth. Uh, Lord, there is so much... Uh, confusion in our world. There's so much, um, uh, just a lack of knowledge, a lack of wisdom. Father, we just confess that we need you. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning to see where wisdom begins, but not only see that, to live that. Uh, Father, we need you this morning. We need you every moment. I thank you for this opportunity. I just thank you for everyone who's here and uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So where wisdom begins. <clears throat> we read in Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this is a verse that probably many of you have memorized. Uh, it is the theme of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs it was written uh, in order that young men may have wisdom 
And, and this is the theme of it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And, and in a minute, we're going to look at the contrast of wisdom with fools. But uh, l- let's take a few minutes just to look at this verse. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, the first thing we want to look at is the word beginning. This does, the word beginning here does not mean it's the first step in a series of things. It, it's not as though uh, the fear of the Lord is where we start and then we continue on and we leave that behind. That's not the idea. The word beginning here really has the idea of it's foundational. This is the foundation on which wisdom is built. Uh, If you are going to be wise, you don't just start with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the foundational truth on which you build wisdom. Um, And then uh, another word that will kind of unpack the rest of this morning is is what does fear mean? Um, fear, if you look it up, its basic definition is reverential awe. That's not so helpful, uh, I don't think. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. Uh, first of all, reverential seems like a really old word. Uh, maybe not to all of you, uh, but reverential seems like a really old word. And secondly, the word all has been greatly diluted The way we use the word awe, and you think of the word awesome, uh, has been um, greatly diluted over the past few centuries, um, or decades, sorry, Uh, (laughs) and uh, not yet, not centuries. Um, So you have this idea of reverential awe, which again is not so helpful. Um, So what is, let's look at the word awe, what does the word awe mean? Um, Do I have any teachers in here? Some teachers, I was a former teacher. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, if you teach elementary, um, I don't know, Rob, what, what grade do you teach? Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Um, you probably have uh, um, in your arsenal um, <laughs> a stamp or some stickers. And you probably, what's one that's common is when you're giving feedback to students' work is you're awesome. Uh, you hear that a lot. Uh, so that's typically the way, the way that we use the word today carries the idea that you're, you're doing a really good job. You're doing great. Um, but that's not what the word means. Uh, we, we use the word awesome. We throw it around uh, very casually. Uh, and so what does that word mean? If you look up the word awe, you'll find a definition like this. And just think about this. An emotion in which dread, veneration, and wonder are variously mingled. An emotion in which dread, veneration, and wonder are variously mingled. So something, something that's awesome is something that creates an emotion in us that has those three elements, dread, veneration, and wonder. If you think about all are awesome in that way, um, you're probably not going to stamp a kid's paper with, <laughs> you're awesome, uh, no matter how bad that kid is. <laughs> uh, no, so we don't, again, when, if you use that definition, then yes, reverential all is very helpful, but typically we refer to chocolate sundaes as awesome 
Um, and chocolate sundaes aren't really that awesome when you look at this definition. Uh, my point here is not that we need to change our use of awesome. Um, go ahead and keep stamping papers, you teachers. Uh, just know that it is diluted from its original meaning. Uh, awesome really does fit when it comes to the Lord, though. God is awesome in the true sense of the word. Um, so what does it look like? Before we get there, I want to look at the contrast to wisdom, and that is the fool. Uh, and if you, um, and you can turn to Psalm, sorry, I can't talk and think at the same time. Um, Psalm 14. <clears throat> if you think of uh, the lack of wisdom, really it's very evident in the amount of foolishness that takes place. Uh, but the fool is the alternative or the contrast to the wise person throughout the Bible and, and in particular in the book of Proverbs. Psalm 14.1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. So where, where does foolishness start according to this verse? In the heart, yeah. Uh, so, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. This is a heart problem. It's a heart disposition. That, that, so, a person living like a fool, they're living their lives and with a heart disposition that says or believes that there is no God. Uh, notice that the fool says it in his heart. A fool can say with his lips that there is a God, but it's what's happening inside his heart. And I think that's important for us to see. Uh, uh, Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 15, he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So we as human beings have the capability, in fact, the inclination to live a hypocritical life. Oftentimes what we say with our mouths don't line up with what we believe in our heart. And the heart is where the fool says there is no God. So again, and I think this is instructive for us, we can, we can live in an unwise way, in a foolish way, and be believers and profess with our mouths. So what does it mean? It means there is a disconnect between what we're saying what, and what we truly believe in our hearts. And so that's the contrast to wisdom. True wisdom is a result of a life that's lived out of, of an abundant heart that fears the Lord. So true wisdom begins when our hearts recognize who God is and lives in light of the fact that, that there is a God in every aspect of our lives. And so what we want to do, or what I'd like to do the rest of this class, is kind of look at three elements of the fear of the Lord. What does it look like? If we're going to fear the Lord, if we're going to grow in true wisdom, what do we need? Well, I think there's three elements that will help us to do that. Um, if you look in your notes, the first one is his person. So if we're going to grow in wisdom, if we're going to really grow in the fear of the Lord, it begins with the realization of who God is. 
The more we learn about the character of God, the more reverence should fill our hearts. Uh, and I think, you know, as I was thinking about what Stuart's been teaching on, it really fits really well with what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, the attributes of God should instill in us a fear of the Lord. Because the more we learn about God, the more we see Him for who He is, we see ourselves for who we are, and the result of that should be, should be fear. I say should be because you can grow in head knowledge of God and it not impact your heart belief system. Uh, and that's always the result, or that's always the goal, not the result. That's always the goal of, of learning about theology, of learning about the attributes of God should always be the heart, not the head. So, just a few things, a few attributes. Um, first of all, it's important for us to remember, if we're going to grow in wisdom, that God is the creator. God spoke the universe into existence. He spoke the universe into existence. He holds all things together, according to Hebrews 1.3 says that Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. Turn, if you will, to, to Job 38. And, and really, we could spend a lot of time in Job. Think about, this is the interaction between the Lord and Job. Uh, Job uh, the Lord is answering Job. <clears throat> and, and God's point to Job is, I created all all things, and I control all things. And it says in verse 1, we're not going to read all of this. This goes actually through uh, chapter 40, and it's all, or actually 41, it's all worth reading. But Job, or God, the Lord says this, it says, the, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Job, you think you know so much. You think you have life figured out. Sit down and let me ask you a few questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And what were the bases sunk? On what were the bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut the seas uh, with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. And we could just keep going. Job, where were you? I am the one who says to the mighty waves of the ocean, you stop here, and they obey. God created all things. He sustains all things, actively sustaining creation this very moment. If Christ, for whatever reason, decided to stop upholding the universe, it's gone. That's this very moment. Secondly, it's helpful for us to remember that God knows everything. Um, this Theologically, we call this omniscience. Uh, and go ahead and make your way to Psalm 139. 
God knows everything everyone does, says, and thinks. We read in, in Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot, to, I cannot attain to it. And he goes on to say, where can I go from your presence? Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, God knows everything. And we see in these first six verses, he knows what we do. He knows what we think. And he knows the words we're going to say even before we say them. Does that create a little bit of fear in anybody? I know it does me. You combine that, though, with the next one, that God is holy. God's transcendent above his creation. He's not part of his creation. He's, he's transcendent. He cannot tolerate sin or evil. Uh, in fact, sin and evil can't even exist in his presence. He's a holy God. And fourthly, God is perfectly just. Um, I don't know about you, I like watching some uh, crime shows, um, and you always, not always, but you see sometimes in these stories, uh, cases where the, 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 the case goes unsolved, and someone can get away with something for many years, uh, and it's frustrating, especially as they kind of interview the family members, it's frustrating, uh, and it sh should be frustrating. Um, and you have this sense of, wow, justice is not being served. Uh, but nobody escapes God's justice. Uh, he is a holy and righteous God, and he is perfectly just. Uh, just consider this. He never misses one shred of evidence. He never overlooks he never takes a bribe. So you can't talk your way out of it. You can't bribe your way out of it. God is totally, perfectly just in all that he does. Um, so if, if I don't have your attention now, this is the foundation of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord really begins, this is in your notes, to develop when you realize that you truly stand before this holy, righteous judge that knows everything about you and that you'll give an account of your words and deeds. The second element of the fear of the Lord is a realization of where God is or the presence of the Lord. How many of you would live in a house made completely of glass? Anybody? I just looked this up because I was curious, uh, nor would I, <laughs> uh, but I did look it up, and there are, there are people who live in houses made of glass, uh, although I was very interested to find out that not all of the house is glass, just part of it, um, 
And usually when someone does this, they do it when they have a big enough piece of property. So essentially, <laughs> there's nobody looking in. It's more for their benefit to look out. Um, nobody would want to live in a house of glass because we all want anonymity. We all want to be covered, right? I mean, this is from back from Genesis 3. From the fall, we try to cover ourselves. We try to hide ourselves. Uh, we don't want to live in a, glass of ha- a, a, a house of glass because we don't want people seeing everything about our lives. We want to hide those things. Um, and we're very good at hiding. The reality is, though, you do live in a house of glass when it comes to God. There's no room you could go in to hide. There's no closet for you to go hide in. You live in a house of glass, uh, at least when it comes to God. So, let's finish. You're still in Psalm 139. Let's keep going in verse 7. The psalmist writes, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where, sh- where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall, shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even darkness is not dark to you and night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So he keeps going. The whole point of this is is that there's nowhere you can go to hide from God. He sees everything. Even even if you try to go into the darkest dark place, God still sees. Because darkness is not darkness to him. The point is, you can't hide from God. I'm going to ask some penetrating questions. Please don't answer. Um... Would you be ashamed if what you watched in privacy were broadcast for the whole world to see? You know, as I I think about uh, struggles that um, everybody has, um, we all tend to struggle in different ways, but um, why are certain struggles so hard for people to overcome? You think about the stumbling block of pornography. And I would suggest to you that the problem is is that we have deceived ourselves uh, into believing there is anonymity. That we can live a life protected from other people and mostly protected from God. Um, God sees everything. You can't hide from him. Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Hebrews 4.13 um, says there, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So if we're going to grow in wisdom, if we're going to grow in the fear of the Lord, the first thing is to recognize who God is. The second thing is to recognize that he's present. Thirdly, is to realize what he demands, or the precepts of the Lord. And it's interesting, um, just thinking through this, if you, 
you can kind of, I'm starting to see more connections. Usually the fear of the Lord is connected to the precepts of the Lord in, in the Bible, and specifically with commands. But you have this idea of, well, you know who God is, and you know He's present, but He also has demands. He has commands that He's given us, or He has precepts. And, the, and, and fear of the Lord is always connected to those uh, and it makes sense. God's character, who he is, flows out of what he wants from his people. Uh, so just a couple of verses. You don't necessarily have to turn here. I'll read them for you. Psalm 103. Uh, actually, this morning when we were praying, uh, Jeremy prayed this. And I thought, I'm going to use that in Sunday school. Um, Psalm 103, verse 17 says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his, his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Again, the idea of the fear of the Lord. And, and notice that there's blessing with the fear of the Lord. So you have the idea of the fear of the Lord connected with the commandments or the precepts of the Lord. And then just flip, oh, if you're wanting to flip there, Ecclesiastes, the very last, second to last verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. Um, and this kind of goes along with what Keith, Keith preached a couple of weeks ago. It says, but the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Again, fear God keep his commandments, keep his precepts. Let me show you a couple from the New Testament. Um, uh, John chapter 14. Verse 15. Now, fear is specifically not mentioned here. Uh, but I think the connection with the commandments is, is, is what I want you to see with loving God. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then you jump down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And you see this element in this verse of, you know, it's not just having the commandments. If you truly love the Lord, then you're going to keep his precepts. You're going to keep his commandments. And then notice the result of that. He will be loved by my Father, and I will manifest myself to him. So there is an element where fear and obedience to the precepts of the Lord, motivated out of love for Him. And I'm going to come to that in just a minute uh, and, and talk about the idea of fear and what that means for us. But those allow us to grow in our knowledge of God, true knowledge of God, because God is, Jesus says He will manifest Himself to us. He will show us who He is. Uh, and then also, verse 23 if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make our home, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So this, again, this idea of loving God and keeping his commandments uh, is the same thing with, I, I believe, the fear of the Lord. So a man who fears the Lord 
uh, does not steal because God is a God of honesty, and he commands us not to steal. Um, A man who fears the Lord will have truthful speech because God is a God of truth, and he commands us not to lie. And we could keep going, um, but I want to kind of, now we've, we've been focused in on God's person, his presence, and his precepts. I want to back out just a little bit uh, and, and give you some encouragement uh, because if, you, if you, you know, you're considering all of these truths, uh, and it can be very overwhelming, and it should be overwhelming. In fact, for an unbeliever, these truths should create terror. But for the believer, it creates fear, not terror, and there's a difference. Uh, this is highlights the beauty of the grace of God, the majesty and the and the, uh, the awesomeness, if I could use that word in its real sense, of the gospel. Here we are standing before this holy God who is present in every way, not just physically, but knows our thoughts, knows what we're going to say before we say them, knows everything about us, and yet he extends through Jesus Christ an offer of reconciliation. Because Christ paid the penalty for all of those sins. And so what fear is founded on these, you know, these elements, but the gospel also is more magnified and more beautiful to the believer when we walk in the fear of the Lord. Because it's by the gospel, it's by, it's by the sacrifice of Christ and the price that he paid, the life that he lived, the death that he died, and his resurrection, all of those things come together to create a, an, an awesome, uh, again, I'm going to use that word, uh, an awesome ability to walk in fellowship with this God, our creator, this holy, righteous judge. We don't have to f- live in terror of God Because he loves us. He's our father. But we do walk in fear. Uh, I love the C.S. Lewis handling of this in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, As many of you probably know, Aslan kind of represents God in in the story. Uh, And C.S. Lewis is, I think he's famous for saying that that God is not a tame lion. Uh, And you kind of see that portrayed in the stories. Um, Yes, he is kind and merciful but he's not a tame lion. He's not our pet. He's God. Um, turn to Romans. I want to show you this. Or you can just listen. I'll read it. Um, Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse 6. I mean, this is the beauty of the gospel. Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God 
shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, tie that in with everything we've been talking about, not only sinners, Paul would call us also enemies in rebellion to God. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, that's righteous judge, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, uh, by him from the wrath of God that we deserve. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now will we be reconciled, uh, now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than, more than that, we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. For the believer, we've been reconciled to this God. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, it's in church, but I mean, this isn't the, the, the sermon. But that's an, that's, we should be amening that. We've been reconciled to this God. I mean, think about that. Everything you've tried to hide from everybody else, God knows about. And he offers us reconciliation. Psalm uh, 130, verses 3 through 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Listen, that you may be feared. The gospel leads us into joyful relationship that is founded on the fear of the Lord. Let me just give you a couple of examples, one positive and, a, and one negative. Um, I love the story of Joseph in so many ways. Um, and I find myself gravitating to his story a lot. Uh, but in Genesis 39... We have this account, and you're all familiar with it. Uh, this is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Um, but Joseph is an example of a man who walks in the fear of the Lord. He's living in a glass house, and he knows it. Um, now, Joseph, I, I won't take time to read, but you know the story. Uh, I'll read a couple of verses, but Joseph... You know, he's working for Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife notices Joseph because he's, you know, he's young and he's handsome. And she tries to seduce him, even forcefully seduce him. And you can just imagine what all's going through Joseph's mind. Joseph could have been tempted to say, well, you know what, nobody will know about this. Joseph could have been tempted to say, you know, this is Potiphar's wife. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble, you know, if I don't, you know, concede to this. Uh, he could have had a lot of ways to justify this sin. But Joseph knew he lived in a glass house. And Joseph lived his life in the fear of the Lord. And he says this, he refuses. You all know how the story goes, but he says this. Um, how, can, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, let me give you a negative example um, in Acts chapter 5. We have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. 
Uh, let me get there. You all know the story. I'm not going to take time to read the whole story. Uh, so Ananias and Sapphira at the early church, people were selling their property and they were bringing the, the proceeds to the church. And there was generosity and they were doing this wholeheartedly. Ananias and Sapphira is an interesting story. They sell their piece of property and they bring part of the money, but pretending to bring all of the money. Um, so what was their sin? You can answer this. Ultimately, what was their sin? Lying, right? Yeah. They didn't have to sell their property. It's not like the, uh, the apostles were saying, you must go sell your property and bring all the money. No, they were, they were uh, making everyone believe that's what they were doing. Um, they, they wanted people to think that they were generous abundantly generous and giving everything because that's what other people were doing. Uh, but ultimately, they came and they lied about what they were doing. And they said, this is all of the money. And Peter confronts them and says, is this all of the money? And yes, they lied. But at heart, it was hypocrisy. They were pretending to be something that they weren't. Uh, they were living... Um, not in the fear of the Lord. They didn't see themselves living in a glass house. They thought, they, they may have recognized God's character. They may have recognized his person. Uh, they may have even recognized his precepts. They didn't recognize his presence in the full extent. And so you know, uh, you know how the story goes. Peter confronts Ananias and says, How is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Um, in that instance, Ananias and Sapphira, they said in their heart, There is no God. At least not in the way that we're talking about. Not as creator and holy judge who knows all things. Um, notice the result, though. Look at verse 5. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Not that result. Keep going. And great fear came upon all who heard it. A realization that this holy God, our creator, our judge, he's here. He's present. So they knew the presence, or they knew the character, they knew the precepts, and now they're uh, very aware of the presence of God, and great fear fell upon all who heard it. Um, uh, it's, it, you know, those are two examples. The enemy, and I'm going to have y'all's input on this, uh, the enemy of the fear of the Lord, and I was trying to brainstorm and think of different enemies. Um, obviously, one enemy of the fear of the Lord is the fear of man. Um, Jesus talks about that. He's, you know, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man is a snare. Um, Jesus says in Luke 12, let me get there real quick. 
He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed, he has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So one um, hindrance to the fear of God is living in the fear of man. When you recognize that your glass house isn't for God, it's for other people, then you're in trouble. Because when you're living before other people, you have a tendency to minimize living before the Lord in that way. Um, and just out of curiosity, any other, what would y'all say? I have some other thoughts that I want to hear from y'all. What, are you, what would you say are other enemies of living in the fear of the Lord? Yeah, Kim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's great. Pride. Ken's saying pride can make that gap go. Yes. Can you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unbelief. Very good. Yes, sir. Mm. Yeah. No, I think uh, the cares of the world, I think, could fit into that. Um, yeah. Chokes the word. Absolutely. Lust and for all, all sorts of things. I think any time, yes, Rob. Very good. Yeah, a lot of them, yes. <laughs> I'll come over. Yeah, good. I saw two hands, so. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to get uh to allow life to kind of make you complacent. Yeah. Dan, did you have something? Okay. 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 Uh yeah, I think any any time there's fear of something other than God. You're going to struggle here. Uh, and however you want to word that. It could be worry. Uh, worry will definitely reduce your fear of God. Uh, when things become bigger than God in your life, fear of man, um, all of those things can diminish our fear of the Lord. Um, but again, I want to bring it back to Scripture and just recognizing the role that Scripture plays in helping us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Um, you're, you're not going to walk in the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to walk in the fear of the Lord if I'm not spending time growing in my understanding of who he is. Uh, if I'm not spending time in his word, seeing him magnified in the way he's working in and through my life. 
Um, and we, we all need those times, and we, we need to make sure we're making time to spend with God every day um, because that's what's going to help feed this fear of the Lord. Um, so uh, let me just give you that encouragement. Um, choose this day to fear the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, live in light of the person, the presence, and the precepts of the Lord. And then what you'll find is wisdom's going to be right there. Uh, because then you're making decisions. Not, you're going to grow. It's not like you're going to make everything, you're going to do everything perfectly with perfect wisdom. But, but you'll begin to grow in wisdom because you're walking with the Lord as he walks through life with you. Um, well, let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can even call you Father, that we can come before you um, boldly even because of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you call us your children and you, and you even identify yourself as our Father. And Lord, you care about the things that we care about. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to walk in the fear of the Lord and help us to to live in light of these truths, to live uh, quorum Deo before the face of Lord, as it were, every day, um, as we, whether we're at work, at home, uh, in our relationships, Lord, help us to live in light of these truths, um, Lord, that our hearts may be transformed, um, and that our, our love for you would grow, and our fear of you would also grow, and we ask these things in Christ's name, amen.